friends, and welcome back to another episode of Ghoul's Night In, the spooky chat show with your best ghoul friends. I'm Penny Snark. And I'm Midge Munster. And it's been a little while since we have chatted about uh, horror films. Yes. And so I thought I would bring today a, a f- another film that changed the kind of horror cultural landscape of the time and that film is the exorcist hey i just watched this for the first time a few weeks ago perfect perfect well that it's uh, fresh it's fresh uh well that'll be great because i have uh in here not too far into the episode to ask penny have you seen the exorcist (laughs) (laughs) um i had not but now i have amazing uh, well, so yeah, this film was um, a, a real cultural phenomenon. Mm-hmm. It was one of the most large-scale uh, horror films of all time, and it was the first horror film to be nominated for a Best Picture Oscar, mm-hmm. and uh, as well as uh, ten other awards, I believe, which of which it won two of the ten. Um, but why? Why was this such a big deal? Um, and also, I want to talk about a lot of spooky real life things that happened around the production of this movie Mm. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna jump right into it so this uh film came out in 1973 and it was based on a 1971 novel of the same title the exorcist by william peter blatty and uh i think most people if even if you haven't seen the exorcist you probably know the concept of the exorcist it's a possession film uh (laughs) it follows the story of a mother and her 12 year old daughter reagan uh who gets possessed by a demon and they kind of go through the the works of trying to as her mom notices changes in her you know going through medical um routes to try to seek help and eventually turning to the church to have an exorcism done uh this is actually the the novel itself is based on a quote true story and the author william peter blatty was very uh, insistent that he believed that this was one of the only true recorded cases of an actual demonic possession and exorcism so the true story that this is based on happened in the 1940s in cottage city maryland the gentleman that is the uh, possessed in question <laughs> is referred to in notes as Roland Doe um, and a, a couple other names as well, but never by his actual name. So uh, that w- was a mystery. But one thing that comes across in all accounts of this story from any eyewitnesses or whoever um, was that Roland had this Aunt Tilly who was a spiritualist. <laughs> Always comes back to those spiritualists. Hey. And that Aunt Tilly had taught Roland to use a Ouija board the proper way. And then through that, uh, his family, who were religious, Jesuit religious people, um, believed that through that they were having weird happenstances in their house, including 
paranormal type activity, like objects moving. Uh, they were hearing muffled voices speaking, knocking on walls, you know, all that good kind of stuff. Classic, classic, classic poltergeist activity. <laughs> um, quite literally, as we learned, poltergeist means knocking spirit. So hey. literally classic <laughs> poltergeist activity. Um, up to the point where they also began hearing large groups of people walking through the house they said it sounded like a military like battalion marching through the home and they obviously were very spooked they confronted aunt tilly about her use of the ouija board and her spiritualism and not too long after that she mysteriously died whoops whoops <laughs> wow wait wait way to avoid responsibility actually <laughs> way to not take accountability <laughs> Tilly. like peace out guys <laughs> yeah um so roland was very close with this aunt and so when she died he really became very withdrawn which is normal for grieving yeah. people right um so whether or not these changes were due to a child experiencing real loss for the first time yeah. I, every time i'm looking through these facts that's kind of what i'm seeing but also mm -hmm. then there's a lot of crazy claims in this um so roland starts having fits he gets really uh verbally like aggressive loud they would find him covered in bruises and welts and strange marks and so they took him to doctors and psychiatrists, <laughs> sounding familiar, mm. um, and no one could seem to understand what changes were happening with him. So eventually they turned to the Catholic Church, which, as you recall, they are not Catholic, but they yeah. are now like, well, whoever can help us, please someone <laughs> help us. Um, and this was Jesuits are a flavor of Catholic. They are. Yeah. Diet yeah. Catholic, less Pope. Um, and so they take him to be examined by these two priests. And this, I thought this was a very <laughs> interesting thing. During their meeting, they said that Roland couldn't take his eyes off of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And apparently that is believed to be like a absolute sign of possession. Uh -huh. <laughs> they were like, well, that's there it is we, have, we you, have you ever stared at something <laughs> we got you satan <laughs> uh and so they say yes this young man is possessed and when one of the priests asked him what his name was he apparently replied in latin and said i am legions but in latin yeah, very uh, spooky. which that would if that is true that would be spooky because it's mm. a child and this is like the 40s so it's not like the kid went on google and was like how do i freak out a priest <laughs> uh so this goes on for some time they are like i believe for three weeks performing exorcisms on him and trying to save his soul to no avail um the family eventually takes the boy home and things get worse the mother claims that she found the words St. Louis branded into the boy's skin. St. Louis? St. Louis. So you get Milwaukee connection. Here's my Missouri <laughs> connection. Um, so, you know, mom sees the words St. Louis branded and thinks, boy, that must be a good message to tell me what to do. 
<laughs> so they're in Maryland and they pick up and move to St. Louis, Missouri. I mean, I, I can't say that if I saw something branded in someone's skin, I would be like, I should go there. I feel like right. well, I would guess like, like that's is... where the bad thing would happen. Right. Like assuming that we're playing into the idea that this is the work of Satan and he's telling you to go somewhere, I would avoid that place at all costs. Right? That was my no, first thought <laughs> when I was reading about this. I was like, what? She went there? Um, but yeah, they, she, they do. They go there. And uh, it, they were meet with another. And I will say too, I think part of it is like the town that they live in in Maryland is a small town and they've become the possession family at this uh, point, yeah, right? Like it's, it's a very publicized case. It's all over like newspapers and like people are talking about this boy. So they move. Um, and once they get there, they meet with a, another set of priests who take him and more or less put him in solitary confinement. Um, they say they're moving him into a hospital, but he's more or less imprisoned at this mm -hmm. point. Um, which again, I, I don't know. I have a lot of religious trauma, but <laughs> I don't know that I really believe that possessions can happen in this sense. Yeah. And so this poor traumatized child, anyway, there's a yeah, lot I was going to say, I don't, I don't think it can help to put someone who's no, traumatized in solitary like this, confinement whether or not there's a demon involved grieving child and you're anyway they finally get to the point where they're like last case resort we're gonna try to baptize him and that will bring him like as close to god as he can be and so they do with much struggle baptize him he accepts the like communion wafer and then the archangel michael takes over his body and he's like I am Michael, GTFO. Yeah. And the demon leaves. And the kid lives out the rest of his life with reportedly no memory that any of this happened. And I'm like, that's right. called trauma, baby. Yeah. That's called <laughs> that's, that's called repression. Bad memories. <laughs> uh so yeah. Not great. Um, but for obvious reasons, with as much publication and things as this case received, uh, this really stuck with William Blatty when he mm -hmm. wrote his novel. And so uh, whether or not that was a true demonic possession, it is a very true story that did happen and is what this film is based on. Uh, so Penny, you've seen The Exorcist, we now know. Yes. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your experience with this. Did you find it scary? Did you like the, the, the feel of it? What was your experience? Yeah, um, I would say I enjoyed it. Um, I didn't really find it scary. Mm -hmm. um but obviously you know it's always hard with like an older movie where you know you kind of are aware of a lot of the major elements and scenes so like there's right. less obviously the exorcist um is a film that relies a lot on kind of the shock value of some mm -hmm. of the stuff which i was like oh yeah okay <laughs> that's fine right i were like i've seen this i know these bad stairs um <laughs> well and you've you've played very well into my next uh spiel here so thank you for that yes. uh yes because if you watch the exorcist today it is not very scary and i was a person who saw it much later in life mm -hmm. i know uh, a lot of my friends saw this when they were young and so it did scare them very badly yeah um which i can absolutely 
you know, now as an adult, I watch Psycho and it's not scary, but I accidentally saw it on TV when I was like six and I had nightmares about it for months, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, generally still a very like well-made film, good storytelling, really great practical effects. Yeah, um, yeah. I was very impressed. Like I, yes, I thought it was a really well done movie. Good filming, making great acting, but generally the premise of the film uh, at this stage is not quote horrifying and we've had a lot more uh disturbing and scary possession films <laughs> since <laughs> this film uh, but uh, you you pointed this out perfectly for the time this was an incredibly scary horrifying movie and is still considered one of the greatest horror movies ever made because of the effect that it had mm -hmm. and i want to spend some time analyzing why it was so scary because it you're right it does rely on shock value but there was a, a lot to the timing of this that made it what it was mm, um, i'm so intrigued <laughs> mm. uh but also i do just want to spend a minute talking about uh people's reactions to the film because <laughs> i i did not know this apparently some theaters uh handed out barf bags when people <laughs> entered the theater because people were getting sick from watching it um, there was a woman who passed out while watching the film and broke her jaw and tried to sue Warner Brothers Whoops. Uh, for the basically saying that there was subliminal messaging in the film that had caused her to pass out. Um, so people were really like having a time with The Exorcist. Um, it was also, which we'll, we'll kind of circle back around to this, but MPAA ratings were very new still. Mm -hmm. And uh, the MPAA gave this an, an R rating rather than an, an X rating. And this caused quite a stir because in 1974, Roy Meacham wrote this review or article for the New York Times basically saying that because MPAA had stated that this was an R film, they were saying that the movie was suitable for children to see as long as they were accompanied by an adult. And he was so upset by this uh that and they they referenced in the article that a young woman had had to be removed from a showing of the exorcist and placed in an ambulance <laughs> mm -hmm. uh and that article was making specific mention of washington dc which is uh where the original yeah like yeah where there, there's filming locations in dc um part of the original case that this is based on happened in dc and so being kind of the prime place where a lot of children and teens were interested in seeing this movie because it had ties to that location um they were basically calling for uh local police to arrest anybody who sold tickets to minors to see this film oh my <laughs> uh, regardless of whether or not they were accompanied by an adult <laughs> so people were like up in arms about this um and so circling back before mpa rating everything well not everything but prior to this and after the like 19 early early 1940s um movies were basically scaled by the hayes code mm -hmm. and if you're not familiar with the hayes code it was basically a set of rules saying what you could and couldn't show in movies and 
the Hays Code unfortunately stagnated horror for a long time. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, Dracula and Frankenstein were made pre Hays Code. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can really see the changes in the way the films were made when you get to things like Bride of Frankenstein and Creature from the Black Lagoon. They start leaning a lot more into nuance and just like suggesting things rather than, which there is art in that, absolutely. And I think filmmakers should be given credit for what they were able to do still under the reign of the Hayes Code. Um, but as a whole, it really held horror back and you know ostracized it even further from where where people already had issues with it it became this kind of like taboo don't touch Mm -hmm. it kind of thing but then in the 60s this kind of starts to change um (laughs) you know there was a big event that happened in 1963 i don't know if you've heard about this um but our president john f kennedy was assassinated in a really public setting (laughs) that 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 indeed that sure happened that did happen um and this actually has like i mean obviously it has a huge cultural impact but it has an impact in horror in a way you you wouldn't Hmm. really necessarily connect and expect um but jfk's you know assassinated everyone witnesses it it's like a huge global like oh my gosh and before this america under the Hayes Code and just in general is living in like the leave it to beaver era, right? It's a lot of blissful ignorance. Americans are seeing themselves portrayed on TV in this very like happy-go-lucky, squeaky clean, separate beds for married couples type image. When that's not a true representation of what's happening, but it's kind of what everyone is accepting as quote, the norm. It's the narrative. The Yes, exactly. And so JFK happens Lyndon B. Johnson takes over and America gets heavily involved in the Vietnam War. And we're in a space now where technology is present in a way it hasn't been in previous wars. And people are seeing in real time these horrors and things that are happening live, you know, and and it begins changing the moral fabric of everything very quickly. Counterculture really rises up. Um, We move into this space where we're getting hippies and (laughs) uh, it's affecting music heavily. We're seeing a lot of protest music and it weirdly also brings in this stage of fascination with the occult. A lot of rock music leaning on these ideas of Satanism and things. The Church of Satan is formed during this time. And then in 1967, a little novel by the name of Rosemary's Baby comes out. Dun-dun-dun. And this sets the stage for the next chapter of what we're going to see happen in horror. Um, It sells 4 million copies in its first year. That's a lot of That's people lot. reading that, yep. reading one book. And it really kind of was almost this confirmation bias for a lot of people of what they were feeling and seeing as the world changed before their eyes. It was this kind of, um, it fed into this paranoia that people mm-hmm. had that like sin and Satan was everywhere, right? It could be your friend, your neighbor, yeah. your partner, anyone could be claimed by the devil. And so it really 
ushers in this new like Satan paranoia age. That book comes out in 1967. The Hayes Code ends in 1968. Rosemary's Baby comes out, the film, (laughs) in that year. And so immediately following, we get the release of The Exorcist, the novel, which sells 9 million copies. And the film adaptation follows almost immediately. Um, And so, yeah, if you watch this for the first time right now, it's not very scary. But for people at this time, for the audience it was intended for, for people who were mostly white Christians (laughs) (laughs) who who are watching their children listen to rock music and be tempted by this free love hippie culture and all these things they're getting this confirmation of their what they see as being the moral fiber of america unraveling all around Mm -hmm. them and where rosemary's baby showed the corruption happening to adults the exorcist really hits home in the fear that was the highest for people that was the corruption of innocence through children yeah and so that playing to that very real fear whereas i mean you know yeah ghosts are scary like (laughs) yeah yeah like that kind of monsters yeah very scary but this was hitting home in a way that things really had not before and then on top of that like you said with the shock value of some of these scenes outside now outside of the haze code things that really had never been shown on the screen it was just taking it somewhere horror had never ever been uh so that is why this is considered such an important film um and i i was thinking about this because uh penny and i were hanging with some friends we were doing a little halfway to halloween i was just thinking about this (laughs) Well, halfway to Halloween, uh, Zoom celebration with our other Halloween buddies. And we were doing, I don't remember what that game is called. Um, it's like the opposite of taboo, right? Like mm-hmm. basically you are all trying to write the same thing. And the prompt was like, what movie you think of when you think of like spooky movies or yeah, something. Or like, yeah, like what's the scariest horror movie? Or the, yeah, the scariest horror movie. And 90% of our group wrote The Exorcist. Yeah, um, and, and, and all immediately were like, well, I don't think, it's not the scariest movie I've seen, but I think right. that it is considered to be but the scariest movie. But it holds that spot yeah. in history, and all these years later, people still look back to that as one of the greatest, like, standalone mm-hmm. pieces of, of this time. And so it's very, very interesting Um William Blatty really struck gold with that one. He really he hit right while the iron was hot. <laughs> right? He was like, I know what people are scared of. Right, right. Uh, but there are some also interesting happenstances that occurred around the filming of this movie. And I want to talk a little bit about that here to wrap up. Um, because there is also this kind of ongoing belief that the production of the film as well as the film itself is cursed Mm. and 
and, and apparently can subliminally message you into passing out right. and breaking right. your jaw in a theater. <laughs> there were a lot of people saying that like the, the reels of film that contained the exorcist were also cursed. It was banned in a lot of places. <laughs> uh, there was a theater that was struck by lightning while showing it. So there was like all these people that were convinced that this was a, a cursed film. Cursed movie. Um, but so, like we mentioned a little bit ago, filming took place uh, in the United States, both in New York City and in Washington, D.C. Uh, if you're in D.C., you can visit the Exorcist Steps. There's a little plaque there and everything. Very <laughs> um, spooky steps. Very spooky steps. Um, but basically, there were a number of incidences that took place while they were filming or immediately following filming into the release of the film that people believe were directly correlated to people working on this movie. Mm -hmm. um, smaller scale thing, not small scale by any means, but like uh, a carpenter lost a thumb while working on the set. Mm. A lighting tech lost a toe. <laughs> <laughs> lots of lots of appendages missing. Yeah. Um, Ellen Burstyn, who plays the mother, um, she actually, so in the scene where reagan like throws her back and she flies back into the wall mm -hmm. uh she was obviously attached to a harness that pulled her and during that scene the harness malfunctioned and pulled her too quickly and actually permanently damaged her spinal cord mm. and so next time if you're if you watch this film again next time you watch it uh the scream from ellen burston in that scene is an actual scream of pain because she was horribly injured during that scene and she talks about it in an interview because they like it was so visceral and good yeah. because she was that they were like zooming the camera in on her while she was in excruciating pain and <laughs> she says in an interview that she looked them dead in the eyes and said cut that effing camera hell yeah <laughs> I was going to say, this is just like for all of us Lord of the Rings nerds who have to tell everyone that Viggo Mortensen broke his toe when he kicked yep. the helmet. Now, yeah. now, I, now I've got that for The Exorcist. And I can be yes. like, did you know that Ellen Mortensen actually damaged her spine? Actually permanently damaged her spinal cord? Um, so, and a lot of these things, again, I'm like, this was just bad film practice. <laughs> but, yeah, it, that was bad. Um, also, there were uh there was a, a huge fire that happened on the set during not during they, they weren't actively filming but during mm -hmm. the time of production yeah. um and apparently the cause has been ruled as a bird flying into a circuit board which is very strange <laughs> um most of the house indoor interior sets of the house burned completely um except for reagan's room which is interesting <laughs> And uh, it ended up delaying filming uh, six six weeks or seven weeks. I don't remember exactly, but it it they it put a substantial yeah, major delay pause obviously on the film because they had to rebuild the sets. And this also kind of ends up leading to then a very rigorous, like over a year filming. Pro you know, like it yeah. extends this so much, and the actors are living in it for so long. It's very intense. Um, so it, that definitely contributed as well to, I think, some of these, uh, you know, then we're dealing with people losing fingers and toes. Right. It's like, people yeah, they're, over, they're rushing and overworked. And rushing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there are also nine 
deaths associated with this film Mm. which is a staggering number yeah that's a lot (laughs) however I've always heard this, but I never knew anything further than that. And I, after looking into it, I'm like, well, are they associated with the film? I don't know <laughs> I about say, that. What's your definition of associated? Right. So we, we'll get into that here. Yeah. Um, so we did have two people involved with the film die um, during filming. A set technician and a night watchman for the set were both died during filming. Um but we also have two actors um that pass like immediately after the film is finished jack jack mcgowran uh an actress i I hope i say her name right it's vas vasiliki (laughs) meliaros um but she plays the mother of the the pastor who is his mother's like failing elderly mother yeah yes so uh both of those characters die in the film and Mm. then died shortly after filming wrapped up now both of those actors are of an older more mature age so is that suspicious i don't know um she did pass of the flu which is interesting that but like also when you're older the flu can hit you much harder so um and jack died of natural causes um but it was like the week that the film released and so everybody was like uh linda blair's who plays reagan uh her grandfather also passed during production which again i was like that's an old man dying but uh there was lots of just association with people connected to the actors passing away um the son of mercedes mccambridge who is the voice when reagan is possessed Mm -hmm. um her son ends up like not too long after killing his wife and two daughters and taking his own life um so there was just a lot of speculation that people who had worked on the film were carrying something dark with them that Mm -hmm. then seeped out into their their life um again i can look at pretty much all of those instances and see (laughs) where it's just like that was an old man (laughs) yeah (laughs) like that was a carpenter who was being forced to work long hours after a set burnt down and cut off his thumb from exhaustion um yeah it does make me make me wonder like how many deaths can be quote associated with kind of like any any film film. if if you're going as far as like someone's grandpa died i'm like well probably other people's grandpas have died while they were working on a movie right so yeah but obviously you know there's the extra like mystique of like a horror right you'd be tracking that's you know malevolent stuff it did end up going so far after the fire specifically um that they brought in a real life priest Mm -hmm. to bless the cast and the set and like exercise the set (laughs) (laughs) um so they they had belief that it was affecting people yeah um and i think that you know in some way that probably is true just working that long with that heavy of material i think probably much like what happened to uh my brain is saying hugh jackman and that's not his name (laughs) Um, Heath ledger Heath ledger 
so glad you speak midge yeah i know what makes this a lot easier (laughs) um yeah but much like what happened to heath ledger just like spending a long time with heavy material will definitely affect your mental health and the way you view things and so i think a lot of these actors probably left this with a a darkness about them Mm -hmm. afterward (laughs) yeah i i don't know if this is something that you're gonna get into but it sounded like it was a pretty rough set in general well and that's yeah what i like what i was saying with the um the uh harness on ellen burston i was like a lot of this just sounds like bad film practice yeah i just i remember because i did like go to like do some reading about the exorcist after i watched it and of course you did like i love about you you know me i gotta i gotta (laughs) gotta read up on it and it was like talking about like how the director like made the room like actually below freezing and stuff so that he could get like and like constantly was making people refilm so he could see breath and stuff it just sounded like he was just kind of a huge tyrant and And that's like they were like yeah one morning we came in and then the indoor set everything was covered with snow i was like well yeah he was keeping it at 30 degrees yeah <laughs> and there's and, and, moisture in the air because yeah. everyone's breathing it seems like in, in, in general a, a high pressure um set that y- yes. you can see where people would you know maybe be making mistakes and stuff like kind of yeah. working in sort of an, an un- unhealthy work environment i also read that the um woman mercedes mccambridge that did the the, the voice of the demon um she again like people talk about this as if it's an accomplishment and i feel really weird about that they were like she broke her sobriety in order to she would like drink nothing but whiskey and chain smoked for weeks so that she could achieve that voice and ate raw eggs and then they would bind her to a chair so that she could experience like reagan being bound to the bed so that the inflection would feel authentic and i'm like that just sounds incredibly abusive to her body like right that's oh my god now i'm gonna i'm gonna misquote this i don't know who it was but i remember i remember reading um like an article about like someone who like was a super method actor and was just like Mm -hmm. talking about all the intense stuff that he would do and one of his co-stars who was like some like I'm I'm sorry that I can't remember this guy's name was like a, a British actor was like have you ever heard of acting dear boy <laughs> <laughs> well that's like yeah I just like I felt like you know they're talking about this as like wow she really went after that role and then what was crazy too is the director didn't want to credit her for the voice in the Ugh. cast because they thought it would be scarier if the audience thought that Reagan was doing that voice Um, And she had to, like, fight them legally to credit her for her work after all that. And I was like, that's just, again, it's just bad, bad practice. Like, just just actors being taken for all they're worth. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the real curse of this set. Indeed, right? The real curse (laughs) is a lack of union. (laughs) Right. Uh, Poor film conditions. If only this was something that had we gotten rid of in the 70s and didn't still have today. Right. (laughs) Um, But that is a a little bit about The Exorcist and why it has such a, you know, long lasting space in our horror canon. Uh, Like I said, I do think this is a very well made film. I think it um, 
the cinematography is beautiful the acting is great like it's definitely we talked about in our ouija board episode that this kind of spurned the like or not spurned began the fear of ouija boards on a on a national scale um so it it definitely has a a huge space in the trajectory of of what we now enjoy but uh take it with a grain of salt (laughs) (laughs) or a or a bowl of pea soup indeed Well, thank you all for letting me dive into horror. I know, like, uh, I love that our our listeners do, you know, uh, get into this with me once and again, because I know, like, uh, we tend to stray from horror and overly spooky things here, but I do like to get into the the film history every now and again. So thanks for taking the journey with me. Uh, If you are enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving us a rating or a review wherever you listen to us. Those really help us reach new audiences. Um, If your podcatcher of choice does not allow you to leave us a review, leave us a rating there and you can always DM us a review and we'll go ahead and read it if you're comfortable with that. Uh, I believe we actually have one that was submitted via Instagram message to read today. We certainly do. Um, this review is from Ash, uh, Frank and Ho on Instagram. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, and uh, she says, hey, ghouls, Australian Spotify listener here, five-star nice. raider. I am such a big fan of your pod. Every Wednesday, we're a day ahead, so that's when it drops for us. <laughs> on my drive home from work, I fire up the old spot and laugh my whole way home. Being a funeral director, mortician, your funeral death topics are my favorite, especially the comparison of laws and trends. Little flashback, but FYI, Costco Australia still sells caskets. (laughs) Uh, The dynamic between you guys is absolutely spookalicious. Keep up the solid kook ghouls. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. And thank you for your your work and death services. That's amazing. Yes. So fascinating. I did um, chit chat a little bit and learned a little bit more about Australian death care. So maybe one Ooh. day we'll we'll have a death around the world episode. Death around the world. That would be that awesome. A little bit more. <laughs> around have... the world and 80 deaths. <laughs> uh, I love it. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about like differences in funeral practices and stuff mm-hmm. around the world, but there's definitely a lot to dive into. There but certainly yeah. is. Thank you, Ash. We'll try and keep being spookalicious. Yes. Thank you. Well, and that is a great reminder that if you would like to submit a review via Instagram DM, you have to be following us over on yes. Instagram. You can find us over there at Ghouls Night in Pod. And if you are looking for me, you can find me across all platforms at Midge Munster. And you can find me at Penny Snark. And until next time. Good. good.